0: When you have a visualization, if you really know your specific goal, I want someone to look at this graph and see that this bar is way bigger than this bar, and this is why they should care. Once you know that, then the visualization is much easier and much more effective. How many
1: times have you gotten an assignment and thought, I'll just write up a story. Stop. Maybe words aren't the most effective way to tell that story. Maybe a more visual solution is best. I'm Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism. Allie Torbin has spent the last decade working as a software tester and technical product manager in the Washington, D.C. area. She's currently the data visualization designer at the American Enterprise Institute. Allie is also the host of Vis Today, a weekly podcast about, you guessed it, data visualizations. Welcome to the podcast, Allie.
0: Oh, thanks so much for having me here.
1: So usually we we talk to journalists and we ask them about their journalist journey, but you're you're not a journalist. You wouldn't describe yourself as a journalist. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you get into data visualization?
0: Well, I kind of came at data visualization, probably how most people come at data visualization, which is a very roundabout way. I have a math degree and after graduating, I came up to Northern Virginia to work for a government contractor doing software testing business analyst. And then I discovered my love of maps and I got a graduate certificate in geospatial intelligence. And then I had a kid (laughs) and I wanted to start getting into geospatial intelligence. But, you know, FMLA came into play and I decided to stay where I was and I was able to work part time. And then after my second daughter, I stopped working completely and i was trying to decide what i should do what what interested me and i kept coming back to my love of maps and so i it was a really hard transition for me because i think a lot of mothers can relate to the feeling of being a stay-at-home mom and it's kind of simultaneously isolating and overstimulating at the same time. <laughs> so.
1: I, just just as, as a relatable here, you know, I've lived in the Washington, D.C. area for, for a long time. And when, when we started having kids, um, my wife had a much better job than I did. And I actually stayed home and yeah. I experienced the oh, exact same yeah. thing that you did. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that I was a man and was at the park and people did yes. know why I was at the park and that sort of weirdness. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also trying to decide what I wanted to do with my career because I didn't feel all that fulfilled doing software testing. So I'm trying to think of basically changing careers and also needing flexibility, you know, needing to be part-time. It was very difficult. So I kind of landed on, I kind of discovered, oh, well, I really like maps. That's data visualization. You know, you're layering data on maps. So I started getting into data journalism. I was like, oh, well, that sounds nice. I can do freelance data journalism. And That's kind of like, it's really easy because it's flexible if I'm freelance and I can kind of control my own schedule and do kind of data visualizations on my own schedule. But the hard part is that data visualizations take a long time, especially when you're gathering data and doing the whole story yourself. So that was difficult. So that is why I started my own podcast about data visualization, because I thought that I need to get better at data visualization. It's probably a better use of my time if I'm working on, you know, instead of going back to school to learn more about data visualization, instead of spinning my wheels doing data journalism, you know, just work on the craft. And then when I have a little bit more time to get a job, I can be an actual data visualization designer. That's so, how I came to do data did, visualization. So
1: before we talk about the podcast, so, you yeah. know I mean? You know, people don't always think about it, but but a map is a lot of data. Yeah. And it, the the nice thing about it is it's got it's got a built in visual aspect of mm-hmm. it, uh, to it, but but it's also a a great storytelling tool. You know, especially if location, you know, and population maybe across location is part of the story that you are trying to tell. Maps don't always work for everything, but when right. they do, they're great.
0: Yeah, because. I think everybody loves a map because everybody likes to kind of spatially orient themselves. So the map allows you to do that. And then you can layer data on top of it, you know, the invisible things. You know, you can see the physical, spatial things. And then you can layer the invisible things on top of that. And that's, that's really powerful.
1: So tell me about the process of you doing your own podcast. I mean, how did that start?
0: I knew that I needed to get better at data visualizations. So the way that I thought the best way to do that is to study the best data visualizations. So, you know, I'd be on Twitter, I'd be flipping through the Washington post and I would see a visualization that I liked and I would contact the author and ask them a couple of questions like what data they used, what kind of data cleaning they did, what their creative process looked like, what tools they used for the final data visualization. And so they would tell me that information. I kind of compile all that information into a story so I can tell my audience, kind of bring them through the process. Like, so they feel like they're there and they're kind of running through this example themselves, like as if they had this story to tell too. So you have this data, you want to tell this story. This is kind of your creative process and how you ended up visualizing it in this way. These are the tools that you used. These are the couple of things that I took away from that person's process. And then this is a way that you can apply it to your own visualizations. And then I also do kind of like an inspired viz. So like this last one, he used box plots in his visualization. So I talked about what a box plot was (laughs) because I think a lot of people don't really know
1: What is a a box? plot? The box
0: plot represents the distribution of data. It's a series of marks that statistical marks that show like the median is in the middle. And then you draw a box around it, which represents 50 percent of your data. And then you've got the whiskers. You know, sometimes it's called a box and whisker plot because you've got those lines coming out from the box on either end. And that represents one and a half times what the box's value is, the interquartile range. And then any points beyond that are just represented by points, and those are outliers. So just by these couple of marks, you can get a sense of the distribution of your data. And what's really great about it is that they don't take up a lot of space. So you can put a couple right next to each other, and you can see different groups, how their distribution compares right next to each other. So those are the kinds of things that I talk on the podcast is, you know, You've probably heard of box plots, but, you know, maybe you think of it as something that's, you know, in a clinical journal (laughs) or something that's not, you know, nobody's really going to be able to understand. But once you understand it, you see how this person used it, and then I talk about different scenarios where it might be useful, and then you can – next time you see, oh, I need to compare these distributions – I don't really have enough room to do 10 histograms. <laughs> Maybe I can just, you know, from the Allies podcast I learned that you can in a small space represent 10 different distributions. Maybe I could use a box plot. So, yeah, that's that's what I hope to do on my podcast is for me to learn from these people making great visualizations and then provide it in a very succ- succinct way so people can learn and do other More visualizations for themselves. It's only about ten or fifteen minutes each episode, so
1: yeah. You know, I think you know people may realize that this this is one of the reasons why I wanted to come in. I'm always looking for different storytelling techniques and people how to do it, but also coming across your podcast and you know here's somebody else who's doing a podcast about storytelling about different ways and different tools to do it. So, a that's why, why I wanted you in here, but you also had a lot of you know really interesting things to share. Now. Some people might say, so why don't you do this as like a like a YouTube video because data visualization is so visual. You know, why why do a podcast?
0: I have heard that a lot actually. <laughs> I think that's true, but going back to my how I came into podcasting, you know, I really love listening to podcasts because you know, I don't have a lot of time sitting in front of the computer because I'm constantly cleaning up. I'm constantly getting snacks. <laughs> I'm making dinner a lot. You know, like being a stay-at-home mom, there's a lot of things you're doing where, you're, you know, you're really busy following around these little people who need a lot of attention. So I listened to a lot of podcasts, and that was kind of my connection to the outside world because I could learn and I could also be doing what I need to do is care for my family. So I really am sticking to podcasting for selfish reasons because that's, the way that I feel. I feel like I am my audience. That's kind of my my avatar is I'm trying to help people who are trying to get better at data visualizations, who are short on time. That's why they're short in duration. And it's podcast, so you can listen to In the Car, you know, wherever. And I, I totally agree that it is better in YouTube, but I don't have time. I really don't have time to do both. So if I have to pick one, it's going to be a podcast. And also It's really great practice for me to describe a visualization because you have to describe a lot of detail, but not so much that you lose people. And also, I think it's a really great creative tool when you're listening to someone describe a visualization, you might visualize it in a different way than it actually came out. And maybe the way you visualized it was better. So hearing me describe it, like describe the problem and describe the solution, maybe the way you visualized it was better. Maybe you go back and look at how actually, you know, the actual visualization and you thought, oh, that's not how I thought. And you actually have a better idea. So I think it's kind of almost like a creative practice.
1: Yeah, I sort of asked that question because, I mean, people might think that, you know, well, mm-hmm. it's a you know go to a more visual storytelling technique, but but that's not me saying that you can't tell visual mm-hmm. stories on you know via audio. And I would actually argue argue in many ways. So what you were describing that sometimes it's more real, more visual to have somebody describe something you trying to recreate it in your head. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is 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 you create you know I, I want to talk to you about your website presentation because I really do like it. Mm. It's a really great podcast presentation because it's sort of a, a transcript and then you also include photos of the people and of the visualizations that you're discussing. So people who, if they want to, like, what does this really kind of look at? They, they can go to your website.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try to keep, try to put as much information there as possible. So it is almost like a blog, a blog and a podcast because I take basically the transcript of my podcast and I try to, you know, take out some information, some of my talking that you don't need to read and make it very um, bulleted as well. So it has timestamps so you can jump to the audio if you feel like listening to it instead, but you really can just read through it. And I have it very bulleted. I try to do everything in steps, like this in three steps or three things I took away. And then also a final takeaway at the end. So if you just have two minutes and you still want the gist of the podcast, just go to the show notes and then you can get out see the picture, which is great. And then you can get out the couple of tips, see the final takeaway and move on. So Yeah.
1: I thought it was, a, it's a really good compromise to one of the big problems with audio online. If you just have a player, I mean, people don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And if you give a full transcription, they may just read the transcription. They're not going to listen to your podcast. So then it's kind of like, well, I'm doing the podcast because I want people to listen to me. You know, how do I, but there are lots of smart reasons uh, to have some of that text available for search reasons, mm-hmm. for example, if people are looking for a particular topic, you know, having words online somewhere makes it easier to be found at this point audio is not searchable right, online. Right. <laughs> so these are these are some of the challenges that people who do who, who don't do podcasts don't realize that you actually kind of have to noodle through so I, I think by having bulleted points I, you know, I think it's a that's a, a great concept great idea Now you've done about what 25 I 24? Think I'm at
0: 34 34, now. Yeah, 34. Yeah.
1: so 34 interviews is there have you found any sort of common thread be, between running between the different people that you've interviewed?
0: Yeah, I think that <clears throat> I think the kind of the two things that surprised me was one because I at the end I ask what is your advice to designers just starting out, and most of it is people saying really understand the goal of your visualization, which is like yeah sure duh I know <laughs> like yeah I I already know my goal like yeah why do why even bother spending time on that, but really that is really true I mean. If you can succinctly put basically what you're trying to say in the title of the visualization and really know I'm trying to show that this bar is bigger than this bar, you know, and really that's your main point. That is like very specific, not just some general goal. That's usually what you start out with, just some general goal. But when you have a visualization, if you really know your specific goal. I want someone to look at this graph and see that this bar is way bigger than this bar, and this is why they should care. Once you know that, then the visualization is much easier and much more effective.
1: Yeah, and um, you know my own experience with you know trying to create visualizations for for my work, or in talking to other journalists who do, who are like maybe doing a big project and um, that, that has a visualiz- visualization element. Um, there's this sort of, they're the, the data viz people, but then they're also the journalist people who may not, uh, may not be visually acute. So wh- what do you think about that relationship of the, the journalist who's like, I, I want to tell this story. I don't, you know, how do how, how do they best, I guess, talk to the data viz person, you know, to, to communicate to them the significance of the story they're trying to tell and, and the data, so that the data viz person can help them to tell that story visually.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a great question because um, sometimes it is hard to communicate or one side thinks they are communicating, but <laughs> it's hard. But from my perspective, because right now in my current position, I'm having researchers come to me asking me to visualize something. So what I'm finding is the things that make my job the easiest is if you can succinctly tell me kind of in a sentence, very specifically what you want this visualization to show. I want to really show... The context of why this one value is so important in amongst these other values. Why is it so important to visualize this? Because sometimes you don't even need a visualization. So really being able to say why this needs to be visualized, what you're trying to say. And then I try to think of data visualization kind of achieving three main goals to different degrees. One is attention and beauty. The other one's understanding. And then the other one is implication. And visualizations can accomplish all three, but usually to differing scales. So being able to say, so this is what I want. The, the goal of my visualization is this. And I want attention and beauty to be the biggest you know, goal of this visualization. And then second, I want implication and third, understanding. Then I know, okay, well, I can be a little bit more creative in this. Maybe incorporate some visual metaphors. But if you say, all I want is my biggest thing is understanding, then I'm like, okay, I just need to have a really clear bar chart for this. The audience is someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have that strong of a data background or a graph background, or maybe they don't have a lot of time with this visualization. So I just need, you know, something super clear, super basic. Those are two things that are really helpful to me, really knowing your goal and kind of what your... Um, the goal of, in terms of understanding, implication, and attention, and beauty, those kind of things really help me. And also, being able to have a collaborative process is really helpful because I want to sketch some things out, see, you know, if that's achieving what you want it to achieve, tweak it some. So having it be collaborative is also very helpful.
1: I'm fascinated by the use of the word beauty. Mm-hmm. I mean, because then that also implies, are there ugly visualizations? Or is it just more of a the beauty is an <laughs> ideal that you want something to be pleasing to people? to Yeah, view.
0: pleasing, pleasing, I would say, because, you know, attention is paramount right now. And it is valuable to have a visualization that initially draws people in because it catches their eye for a particular color or because you used some sort of visual metaphor or, you know, something that something that just catches their attention. That's. I think everybody, especially in media, knows capturing, capturing and keeping someone's attention is worth something. So sometimes it is worth investing a little bit more time in making the visualization beautiful.
1: Now, I know you talked about your your, your love of maps. Are there certain types of data that lend themselves better to visualizations or ones that just, just super difficult to, to create something that is going to be easily comprehensible, that's beautiful, that is going to help tell a story?
0: I think that's a tough question. Because, you know, Mona Chalabi, the data editor at The Guardian, she creates a lot of visualizations, just hand-drawn, you know, hand-drawn line chart. And that's just, you know, maybe a handful of data points. And then there's also big data where, you know, you're compiling hundreds of thousands of points on a map and, you know, visualizing it in different ways. So I'm not sure I've come across, you know, a clear-cut rule on when some data is better visualized than others. I think that um, it really comes down to to context.
1: Is there a risk to try to do too much with the data visualization?
0: Oh, for sure. I think, that is, I think that's a huge risk. I think sometimes people try to do way too much, like I have so much data, let's put it in a chart and let people figure it out. But I think it's more effective if, like I said, you think about your main goal. My main goal is to show how big this value is. So, you know, have a title that's saying, like, this value is really big, and this is why you should care, and then highlight that one value. You know, you don't need to put everything in there. I think having putting other values in for context is 100% necessary, but you also don't need to just overload your reader with all this data. I mean, just because... You can't, you have the data doesn't mean it needs to be visualized.
1: It's funny, you know, I've I've begun to think more with uh, data visualizations and and things that we create for the website that I work at in sort of very simple, simplistic terms in the sense that I I actually almost kind of view it like headlines, the thinking behind headlines. You want something that captures the point that attracts people's attention. Mm -hmm. And quite often with data or data visualizations, what we really want to do is to tell one story that's significant to whatever your larger story is telling. And mm-hmm. what is the data point that's going to have the greatest impact and is going to, you know, you were talking about attention, draw yeah. people's attention to the story you want to tell.
0: Right, right. I think that that's journalists, I would think, maybe you can talk to this. <laughs> I they know this. I think they know how to make a story out of, they know how to write a story. Right. They know that there needs to be conflict and um, timeliness and there needs to be kind of some sort of resolution maybe or, you know, implication. And I think when you're creating a visualization, you can kind of work through that same process and it will help you create a visualization that matters to people. So like I did a recent podcast. I kind of went through this process where I took a data set and it was about avocado prices. And, you know, not really that interesting. It's just listed throughout the year.
1: If you eat a lot of guacamole. Yeah, maybe. It's very important. (laughs)
0: Yes. You know, avocado prices throughout the year and it just showed organic versus Conventional, and so I was thinking, well, what would be an interesting visualization on that that people would?
1: It was an avocado, about? I would imagine. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> Adding, putting in a picture of avocado. So I was thinking, well, my initial idea for that would just be to do a line chart, right? You would just have the years at the bottom or the the months at the bottom, and then the price on the y-axis, and you just be showing them going up and down, and maybe there would be a spike, and that would be interesting. But then I was thinking, well, how could what what would really make this interesting, make this like stand out and make somebody want to read it? Well, where's the conflict? Well, if the first thing you see, of course, is that organic prices are more expensive than um, conventional, right? Which is not that interesting. Everybody kind of knows that. <laughs> okay, so the the conflict with that is if organic is more expensive than conventional, then then some people might not be able to afford organic. Well, what is the timeliness of that? Well, maybe it's about to be Super Bowl or maybe it's about to be Cinco de Mayo. And some people might not be able to make guacamole because the prices of organic is just they can't afford it. Right. So that's the timeliness. Well, what's the resolution? Maybe that organic broccoli is less expensive than organic avocado. (laughs) So there you go. Now you can plot the price of organic avocado and the price of organic broccoli. And you can see, you know, your title can be why you need to be making broccamole for the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> so they go. It's like a chart that somebody actually wants to read and it catches your their attention, not just some kind of boring chart about avocado prices. It's funny. The,
1: um, you know, a lot of my experience with, you know, trying to get data visualization into stories, and this is not just digitally, this is, you know, going back when I was working at a newspaper, is like if you go to a journalist and say, okay, let's, you know, you've done all your reporting and everything, let's tell this story. And a lot of, a lot of journalists, their go-to thing, because it's the thing they're most comfortable doing, is I'm just going to just write, I'm just going to read the hell out of this, I'm just going to keep writing and writing and writing. And... So, text isn't always that great a presentation. It's great for storytelling, but trying to convince people that, look, you know, you don't need to write all this stuff. There are there are elements in this that we can pull out that are going to illustrate your story. They're going to tell a bigger story that's going to get that are going to get people a greater entree into your story. I mean, that's that's sort of a challenge. We we kind of talked about the, you know, that communication between the, the data viz person and the, and the journalist. And I want to circle back to to your podcast because you said something kind of interesting about how you record it before we turn on the mic. So, tell me about your production process.
0: <laughs> That's a very generous word, production process. <laughs> okay, so my process is I send the a list of questions to the designer and they send it back and then I, you know, write out a script for myself of what I want to talk about. And then I go in my basement and I've got a mic and my laptop and a set of or headphones, and then I press record, and I get under a blanket, and <laughs> I record. And then I edit it in Adobe Edition, and then I I add a little bit of intro-outro music, and that's about it.
1: This is, I mean, the, the getting under a blanket, I mean, I, I've heard that story before. You're the first met, person I actually met who actually does that. Not saying that's bad, not saying it's funny, it's just you know
0: it's life <laughs> it's life it's it's
1: the the life of the podcaster this mm-hmm. is this is what you have to do to make it work has have you been happy with the sort of the experience that you've been uh, as a podcaster learning about data visualization
0: yeah i i feel like this is it really paid off because i wasn't really sure if i was going to like it or where it was going to go or if it was going to resonate with anybody but i knew that even if it didn't resonate with anybody it was really helping me because you can look at a visualization and be like, oh, that's nice. I should do something like that. And then you move on. But if you really take it apart and really learn from the person's process on how they even put it together, and then you even go further, because a lot of times I'll create an inspired viz based on that one, based on what I learned. I'll take a different data set and create a visualization myself. That whole process is the most powerful learning process that I have been able to find. Like, I feel like... Just the eight months that I've been doing that is worth, you know, a college degree, (laughs) you know, because, you know, I've I was really studying and being able to take that and regurgitate it into a story that takes a lot of understanding like that takes a lot of work. It kind of sounds like. Oh, that's easy you're just taking a visualization and just talking about it but it's not just talking it takes a lot of work to take that and to process it in my own brain take out what's interesting about it and to put it out so i think that that is the most powerful educational tool that you can have and the podcast has really given me that to me and i think that it's i i know that it's helped a lot of people so i'm really happy about that
1: so tell me about you know what's in your data toolbox
0: It evolves, but kind of the trifecta right now that I'm using a lot is Tableau. It's really easy. It's just drag and drop values. And it's so easy to investigate data that way and try different visualizations. But there is a little bit of a learning curve with that. Adobe Illustrator, because I can take things that I make in Tableau and kind of clean them up and make the annotate really easily. And also rawgraphs.io it's an open source, also kind of drag and drop, and the visualizations that you can do are a little bit more custom. So um, those are kind of the three big ones, but, you know, it evolves. Um, also, I just feel like if someone wants to start with visuals, data visualization, don't feel like you need to go learn a tool because tools can kind of constrain you sometimes. I feel like if you want to get started with it, just start with sketching. It doesn't need to be perfect and once you sketch it, you start thinking in that way. Think of it as a process, you know, write out your goal exactly, sketch out a couple of different options. And, you know, you can just take some graph paper and plot a couple of points, see how that's going to look. So don't feel like you need to go out and learn a tool. I think just start by sketching things and then go in Excel. Excel actually has some decent charting options. You know, don't automatically go with the default you know try to take away some of the color make sure you are accenting the one thing that we talked about you know the one thing you're trying to show that kind of thing but um yeah you don't need to learn a super you know have a ton of tools to do effective data visualizations like i was talking about mona chalabi at the data editor she has so many visualizations that go viral and are retweeted by bernie sanders and stuff and it's just her sketching so you know you don't need a fancy tool to have an effective visualization
1: yeah the the important thing is to be able to in your head visualize it and then you know being able to recreate that in some way Mm -hmm. ali this has been fascinating thank you for coming on the podcast
0: thank you so much for having me
1: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at It'sAllJournalism.com. 2018 is winding down, and the It's All Journalism crew is putting together a year in review episode to be posted later this month. We'd like to hear from you what you think is our best episode of 2018. Go to our website or Facebook page and take our anonymous online survey. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming episodes. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell.